Holy Spirit, kindle your love in us. Stir the coals of our lives till they flame out with your love everlasting. Amen. A woman gets into a taxi cab in New York City and gives the driver an address. After a few moments, she begins to think to herself, I'm sure he's not going in the right way. So she leans forward and taps the driver on the shoulder to get his attention. The driver screams and careens across the road, hitting two buses, a bicycle, and ends up on the sidewalk. The woman gets out, shaking and battered and a little bruised, and says, I'm terribly sorry. I didn't think interrupting you with a quick tap on the shoulder would cause so much chaos. He turns, pale-faced and shaky, and says, I've driven a hearse for the last 25 years. I only started driving a taxi cab yesterday. <laughs> Change. Change affects everyone. Sometimes it's change for the better, and sometimes it's not. Whether it's changing a habit or an attitude or a job or a city, change is always a challenge. And change is even more difficult when it's imposed upon us suddenly or without our approval. Our community has seen a lot of change. At times, we don't know what God has in store for us. Sometimes, it all comes down to faith. I strongly believe that change is a catalyst of faith. You see, this gospel lesson this morning begins with the fifth verse of the 17th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel. Unfortunately, the lectionary breaks up the gospel to fit into a three-year cycle. This morning, we need to look at the four prior verses in order to make sense of the lesson for today. Within these four verses, Jesus warns his disciples he says, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone was hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea than to be a cause, than to be what would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins again against you, even seven times a day, and returns to you seven times a day and says, I repent, forgive him. These first four verses, Jesus instructs how true disciples are to act. Don't be a stumbling block to new Christians. Because little ones was a term that the early Christians used as a special label for recent converts. And if someone sins against you and repents, forgive them, even if they sin against you seven times a day. 
this would certainly be a change for the disciples, a change in how they were to be responsible and accountable for others. I imagine them to be in awe by the significance of it all and not quite sure they have enough of what it took to carry this out. For if this is what faith looks like, then give us more faith. This was how the disciples responded. Jesus has just called his disciples to an impossible task, but they didn't reject it. They were willing to consider it, but their first reaction was that it was, if that was faith, then they needed more. Jesus immediately rejects this conclusion. If your faith was the size of a mustard seed, he says, one of the tiniest seeds to produce one of the largest shrubs, then you would have more than enough. The amount of faith we possess is not what is at stake here. The issue is not the quantity of a person's faith. The need is not for more faith, but to act in such a way that is consistent with that faith, a faith we already possess, a positive act prompted by the faith we have should outweigh the dismay we experience at our own lack of confidence, at our resistance to rely absolutely on the one who has given us that faith. Through faith, we will never be close to exhausting the potential for advancing God's love. We shouldn't worry about the extent of faith available to us in order to meet the difficult challenges of our life. The challenges that surmount each and every day, the chaos that exists in the world, faith that results in faithful action that forms it has far greater possibility than what we can possibly imagine. Through the faith we already have, God can accomplish wonderful things. When faith is put to work, it is capable of accomplishing the most unlikely, even absurd things. How much more should we boldly bring about its purpose for advancing God's love? Faith is the assurance that God's promise will never fail, even if sometimes we do not experience their fulfillment in our lifetime. Hebrews 11 highlights the fact that we trust God to fulfill his promise for the future based on what God has already fulfilled in the past. Thus, our faith is not blind but based squarely on God's proven love for us. We say, increase our faith. Jesus responds that we only need a little bit in order to transform the world. Luke suggests that faithfulness and loyalty to Christ's ways are not optional, but are mandatory. The faith that emerges in our everyday events of our lives. It emerges, as our Buddhist friends would say, by chopping of the wood and bringing, carrying the water, meaning we find faith in our normal daily routine. 
that faith emerges from everyday routines, from everyday challenges, that faith is a matter of life, that faith is the essence of life. It is the how, not the what. Faith finds its fulfillment in our responses to ordinary events. The Word is made flesh at the workplace, at the driving of a child to school, in dealing with conflict, the facing of challenges of difficult relationships or challenging family situations. Paul echoes this theme in his second letter to Timothy in our readings today. Timothy's faith is not something of his own creation or doing. It is a faith that has been carefully stewarded and passed down from Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice. It is a faith that does not necessarily promise an easy, carefree journey. And there is no guarantee of success in worldly terms. Just look at Paul's life. He has suffered for the witness and faithfulness to the gospel. But that does not deter him from clinging to that little bit of faith, that little mustard seed. He has enough faith to live well, faithfully. There's a great temptation to turn faith into something complex, gimmicky, something you need to become an expert in, a never-ending quest to get more and more and better and better. But Jesus tells his disciples that faith is simple. You need just a little to move mountains. That's not to say that there's not room to grow and develop faith, but it's also not an arms race. Then there's the temptation to obsess over faith, which can become a distraction to the kind of faith that, te that Jesus teaches. The faith of Jesus is about loving God and loving neighbor and not getting more and more of something for ourselves. Finally, when it comes to faith, some, sometimes a little bit goes a long way. Why? Because faith is powerful. It only takes a small light to pierce the darkness. And God doesn't require one to be a spiritual Jedi master to move in us, to do things with us, or love us. In my life, change has been a catalyst for my faith. About a year ago, I arrived here on a Sunday morning to begin my field ed placement. I had been reaching out for about two weeks prior to see when I would begin. Not having heard, I decided to take matters into my own hands, and I showed up for the services. As I was pulling into the parking lot a little before 7 a.m., I was impressed by the amount of cars that was in the parking lot for the 7 a.m. service. I thought, wow, St. Wilford's has an amazing 7 o'clock service. However, upon entering in the chapel, I was greeted by only three or four people. I made my way to the back and began to review the bulletin. At about one minute before 7 o'clock, a great deal of people came into the chapel. At the back of the door in the chapel, as it opened, an acolyte came out, followed by Reverend Christopher. 
since I was sitting in the back, I smiled and nodded, and he smiled and nodded as well. Following Reverend Christopher was Bishop John Taylor. The, cons- the service continued as normal. When it was time for the sermon, it was Bishop Taylor who took the ambo. He began by saying, We are a people of the resurrection, an Easter people, and you cannot have Easter without a Good Friday. And today, my friends, is your Good Friday. I will never forget those words. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, not to insinuate that I would ever be anything but... But immediately after the bishop said those words, my mind instantly thought, if I leave this service right after the service, I can make it over to St. Luke's, which was my second pick for my field ed education. (laughs) I'm good. But I will have to tell you, at that precise moment, the Holy Spirit intervened in my life. For at that very moment, it was as if she smacked me upside the head. Kind of like your mother would when you weren't paying attention. A loving smack. Because I was not paying attention. I was in my head and not in my heart. Following that smack, it was as if I heard her voice say, You are exactly where I want you to be. It was then that I felt peace. When I think over this last year, I think of how far we have come, the progress we have made as a church, as a community of God's people and individually. As we draw near to the end of the church year, I'm reminded by the notes that were hanging from our gratitude wall that many of us have given thanks to God Thanks for this community. Thanks for this church, our family, our friends, for love, for joy, everything that we find here. As we continue on our journey of faith together, I ask you to remember that Jesus still calls us to take hold of the tiny mustard seed and trust God is still at work doing new things all the time. Our job is to just keep on keeping on and to just do the things we call faith. After all, it's not about us. It's about what God has done and continues to do. We just steward the gifts and the abundance and even that tiny bit of faith to which we cling. It is enough and then some. This is good news This is good news indeed. Amen.